0: Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. Welcome to the Jersey Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slusher. I'm the editor of the GRC Professional Magazine and the Jersey Professional Online. And today we have John Saunders, our RTO at the GRCI. Hi, John. Hi. So today we're going to be looking at the education sector, like the financial sector. The education sector is no stranger to scandal. You know, a couple of years ago, we saw the vet fee help um, yes. was plastered across mm-hmm. the headlines. Um, you know, it was a system where private colleges had access to government subsidies for every student enrolled. So um, I think we can sort of jump straight into the question. I mean, obviously, last week we saw ACCC make an announcement on Empower Institute, um, who has been held up on unconscionable conduct for that exact same um, sort of vet fee help system. So I guess we should start with what exactly was vet fee help and what kind of colleges were eligible
1: to apply? Okay. For? Uh, firstly, it wasn't subsidies, it was a v- student loan scheme, so the VET fee help and subsequently the VET student loan were loans to students to assist them in paying their fees and after graduating they would then uh, repay that once they reached a certain amount of money. Um, To be eligible, originally you had to have a four years track record of being financially viable and uh, delivering courses and you would get through. That was changed because there was a poor uptake from the private sector. And newer colleges that didn't have the loan were in a bit of a bind because they, how could they become financially viable if they were competing against others that already had it? Hmm. The loans, the students were to go to them, etc. cetera. So, uh, some of them were able to get through uh, bank guarantees and they pushed them on. Um, So a lot of uh, colleges, hundreds, in fact, maybe even thousands became eligible and applied for it. So you you would have heard about uh, the cases of giving out laptops and giving cash, and there were uh, absolutely terrible examples. But it was uh, about 26 colleges out of more than 5,000 RTOs that actually went down that path and made a bad name for uh, many yeah, excellent.
0: So, of course, after that was scrapped, I think there was another program that came in after, um, called. And if I the get VET, this wrong, the vet student loan, I think, loan is what came yes. in afterwards. So, tell me a bit
1: about that. How was that different from the vet fee help? It was. It was different because a much tighter uh, control of the cash, uh, because the previous system uh, relied on people doing the right thing. Which never works, and uh, you could argue, well, they didn't do anything wrong, uh, except perhaps they um, misled students. Therefore, it's a different. It didn't wasn't a, anything wrong as far as vet fee help was concerned. It was more Australian consumer law and misleading uh, people into signing up for something they didn't understand, didn't weren't really interested in it, and they took the laptop and ran away. Um, the, now the vet st- uh, student loan. Was much tighter in that it controlled the maximum amount you could charge for a certain course. It also controlled the list of courses that you could deliver. So some courses were considered lifestyle courses rather than uh, career-oriented courses. There was a lot of debate about that. Um, some would argue, well, why was that thrown off, and that you know that kind of thing. Um, it also uh, benefited more. TAFEs. Now, people will argue, well, no, how's that the case? Well, uh, it was actually based on the ultimate maximum was based on, well, what a TAFE would charge for that. Now, TAFE has different expenditures than private colleges. And if you're in the middle of Sydney or Melbourne and you've got high rental values per square uh, metre, you could say, well, how can we deliver within that as opposed to um, a TAFE that has... Uh, government-supported grounds and so forth. Uh, Was it better? Well, yes, it was better for um, TAFE, not so much for private providers. Around the same time, suddenly the uh, university gates were opened and a lot of students poured into those, Uh, a degree sounds better than a diploma kind of thing. Uh, It was another nail in the coffin for private providers and very good private providers uh, hit the wall. Uh, and even though they weren't involved in scams uh, and they weren't part of the um, uh, the problems that people were raising but they couldn't deliver the quality they were delivering given the price bands of 5000 10000 or maximum 15000 for a 2 year course
0: so it sounds like, I guess, any industry's worst nightmare where something goes wrong and then you get this sort of sledge- sledgehammer of regulation that sort of destroys business models.
1: <laughs> well, that sounds wonderful. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah, I think that's uh, the case. It, yeah. It's very much one of those of uh, governments trying to show that, you know, they stuffed up, we'll fix it up, and they come in with the hammer and we've fixed this problem. And to me, it's just a, an overreaction. They didn't have to close 170 um, colleges by withholding the VET student loan from them. That could have given them a chance to keep going. Um, they could have punished the, the 26 or so that were bad, which is happening, and we're seeing, and that's unfolding still now. But a lot of colleges did have to close their doors because they got wrapped up in this and uh, government was able to say, see, we closed 170. We said we would and we did. Um, uh, That's politics. It's not educational quality. Uh,
0: Fair enough. Well, I guess what is an interesting thing, if we pull back a little bit from the vet fee help and the vet student loan, um, when you identify the, I guess, the breach of the competition law, it, of course, shows compliance challenges that obviously were evident within those colleges. So... Mm changing the conversation over to compliance and regulation um what you know who are the regulators in this space that call it RTOs okay. well, to be aware
1: for, of? for rtos the main regulator is ASQA because whether you're dealing th- there are different um legislation regulation for domestic students overseas students vet student loan um but all of them ultimately come under Asqua. It, well, you know, there are different departments, of course, and sometimes the department that looks at financial viability under VET Student Loan knows, may know next to nothing about the regular auditing of a domestic college or an overseas, um, one with overseas students. And what is the engagement
0: like with the regulator? Do they share a lot of information? Do colleges understand what is expected of them, or is it
1: sort of a lot of the guessing game? <laughs> <laughs> it can feel like a lot of guessing game because the, the posts keep changing as they say and uh, things get redefined. Asker itself is under pressure because they um, have to be a, a neutral revenue this is my understanding and so they don't have the funds to go doing all the things that they used to do and they used to often just look at um, documents you know, what's the refund document? Uh, What's this? What's that? Uh, these things are more form than substance. And uh, colleges would rightly in those days make sure their documents were perfect. It didn't matter what they were doing in practice. Mm. The documents were perfect. Well, those days are over. So now it's more along what ASCRA calls the student experience or the student-centered approach, I think. Um, and colleges have to look at this mm. Uh, ASCRA has taken the old rules and they've jumbled them all around into these groups, like five groups. And the first group is the marketing area, uh, recruitment area, and then the second part is about enrolment procedure. The next part is about the support they get. Um, Now, the support they get, of course, uh, if you're looking at student experience, that is the the primary theme. If you talk about student, what do students want at the college, well, they expect to get support, whether it's face-to-face, whether it's online, whatever it is. And that's what genuine quality RTOs do, whether they're TAFE or, or uh, private providers. Does ASQA really look at the support? No, not really. They just brush over it. It's, it's easily 95% of student experience, but school hasn't got time to go into a classroom, they don't go and look at what that assessor's really doing, they just again look at the paperwork, they look at um, how do students evaluate those in the questionnaires, Uh, what level of complaints are they getting from from students or others. Um, And when students finish the course, they might get an invite, I think via email, uh, they get an invite to fill in a questionnaire about their training. So uh, ASQA gets this feedback and they use that as part of making decisions about the level of support and, and what's happening.
0: So I'm hearing a substantial amount of regulatory risk there, but also the classic case of the under-resourced regulator.
1: Uh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Because uh, to, to me... The support area and the actual experience of the student is the most important part, and it tends to be just one part of the lot, and it's kind of uh, brushed over. Uh, they they also look at uh, what happens when they finish. Uh, they you know which is the completions rate, that kind of thing. I mean, completion rate may doesn't necessarily mean high quality. It could be a poor product, and they're easily getting through, uh, or they're getting through. Uh, with um, very low-level uh, assessment materials and so forth. But ASQA has moderation and they also have validation. From my experience of working in colleges, they're woefully behind in doing all of that sort of stuff uh, because it's time-consuming, it's expensive to do moderation with other colleges and assess your students against theirs. It's also time-consuming to reassess your materials. You'd rather just buy them off the shelf and go, well, they're off the shelf and they were created by the old IBSA, so they must be okay. No, they're not necessarily okay. But they'll do because it's expensive to reassess them, redo them and have industry consultation to improve them. Um, They're things that, um, to remain financially viable, viable, a college generally will take a risk based approach and say, Well let's wait and see and, and what Escla thinks and whether we get a you know a non compliance against that because why would you want to spend so much money and risk your financial viability over something that you're not sure about anyway. Right.
0: So you know you You have uncertainty, you have this sort of regulator who's looking for specific things, that regulatory risk there. You also have the risk of unscrupulous colleges who might just want the money, sort of a money-grab kind of attitude. (laughs) Are there any other compliance challenges that someone in that space Uh, has to deal with? Well,
1: there are compliance challenges because if you predominantly wanted to be a domestic uh, provider, that's almost, forget about it now, because the domestic providers are TAFE if you want to be in the private uh, sector, then, okay, you've got to have a substantial overseas um, cohorts coming in. Um, It's still regulated by ASQA under different legislation. And that is the growing area. After that, you know, the financial crisis uh, since about 2012 or whatever, every year there have been increases in numbers. And the private colleges are uh, taking on those students. A lot of it's cheap, a lot of it's quick and dirty. It's a whole mishmash of things because immigration will give them their uh, visas. As far as immigration is concerned, they've proven themselves, they're out there. You look after them now, RTO. Now the RTOs, of course, uh, will follow the regulations. The students don't really need to have to attend these days as long as they provide the work. Now, how do you know it's their work? Well, you can test certain things and you can do moderation exercises. Um, But ultimately, they want the students there. Immigration and the government want the students there for other reasons. Uh, The quality aspect, well, that's up to ASQA to make sure it's all in place, but they must be under pressure too to uh, because the TAFE can't take all these overseas students and providers of course are competing against each other. They have to minimize if they can give a diploma for $5,000 and make it $200 cheaper than the competition then they'll probably pick up a lot more students. Right. So, I mean, moving
0: on from there, um, is there a sense that there's an understanding by the management and by the boards of these colleges what their obligations are? Or is it a fight between the RTO and the
1: college? (laughs) Yes, well... uh, There's always... It always comes down to th- that kind of thing. I think you're talking about the finances. Yeah. Because on the one hand, you've got the educationists within the college saying, we need to improve this and improve that. And then you've got the management saying, yeah, but, you know, that's going to cost a fortune. And how and we can't put up the fees because then we'll lose the students. So there's always this conflict within, the conflict of interest. And you can draw a red line between academic and management, but ultimately it's the owners that own... Um, and they will take some sort of risk-based approach. Now, they won't say that. They'll talk about quality, because everyone likes to talk about quality. ASQA likes to talk about quality, but as I said before, the real ex- student experience, that's the quality. ASQA stays away from it, and the colleges themselves actually are more involved in the student experience than ASQA. All
0: right. So coming down to the last question. All right. Um, you know, what advice would you give to RTO managers and you know those those charged with the risk and compliance duties in this space, who
1: are trying to get it right, hopefully from a quality perspective. Right. Okay. Uh, that's that's a tough question. Every every college uh, um, has their unique concerns, and the CEO owner will be aware of those. Um, they would really like to employ the best trainers they can get and they'll advertise, you know, we're a quality provider. We want exceptional trainers who care for the student. The reality is those exceptional trainers cost maybe 50% 50 more than a qualified trainer. Trainers, because the real quality comes from the trainer and the student together, whether it's online, whether it's face-to-face you put them together, that interaction creates the quality. Nothing else is really important unless you've got that right. Now, can they afford those quality trainers at the price that they they need need to pay for them? Well, no, many of them can't. And so they have to settle for something less. I always believe that it's the, the student experience is what happens between the trainer and the student. That's where the quality comes from. Can you actually afford the best of the best? Uh, Can you charge that higher price and get that quality because you're well known? Well, there's not many colleges that are well known. And if you look at some of the colleges that are going down now, and they're still going down and they've been declining over the last five years, some of them have got a long history and they were known for quality. They were known for caring for their students, but they... But they charge that higher fee and people are walking away from that and Mm -hmm. going, well, I don't want to have a VET student loan that's extremely high when I can do the same thing over there. Overseas students are not going to enrol there. They're going to go for, well, I can do the diploma there. Why should I go there? Uh, So this is the the problem that faces all of them, being competitive but still trying to maintain sufficient quality uh, in the marketplace.
0: All right. Well, excellent. Well, thank you very much for your time, John.
1: Thank you, Grammy.
0: This podcast was a production of the Governance, Risk and Compliance Institute, and the music was produced by Rod Neary.